Jesus, we are ready to meet with you this morning. Would you take our hands now as we gather together to hear your words and to encounter your living word, your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask all of these things in his name. Amen. Do take a seat as Chris comes to bring us our reading. Our Bible reading may be followed on page 1081. 1081. Gospel of John, chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you should never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, Not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, He put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. 
As we sit, let's pray. Our Father God, we ask for the guidance of your Holy Spirit as we seek to understand this story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples and what that should mean for us. In his name, amen. I can't imagine that social foot washing is something that any of us encounter on a regular basis. I recall one occasion when Elizabeth and I were telling this story to a children's group in St. Andrews some years ago, and the look of astonishment, if not trepidation, on their faces when we actually produced a bowl of water and offered to wash their feet. Even more memorable was an occasion at formal evensong on a Sunday evening in Jesus College Chapel when a visiting speaker took this passage. Without warning, though he must have cleared this with the chaplain, he picked up a bowl of water which had been concealed behind the pulpit and announced that he was going to wash some feet. He then set off down the central aisle, stopped at the principal's stall, and more or less commanded the principal, who was a fairly astringent atheist, to remove his shoes and socks so that his feet could be washed. To my utter astonishment, the principal complied with the instruction. I'm not sure what was accomplished by this display. Rather than to give the rest of the congregation a story they could retell to their friends, to general merriment or utter disbelief. The problem with acting out the story is that it accentuates for us the strangeness. But in the context of Jerusalem around AD 30, what happened was in many ways very unremarkable. The streets of the city were probably as dirty as the streets of London in the Middle Ages, and given that many people wore sandals, their feet did indeed get filthy when they were out and about. Foot, wa foot washing was the unpleasant duty assigned to the most menial servant in the household when the visitor arrived. No doubt it was a service that the visitor welcomed and enjoyed before settling down to a meal. Nothing could demonstrate more forcefully the social hierarchy of the day than the undertaking of this lowly task by a servant. So it was extraordinary that Jesus presumably in the absence of the foot-washing servant, took the task upon himself. And that leaves us wondering what on earth the disciples were thinking about. Now, often in St. John's Gospel, the telling of a story about Jesus can be taken at two levels. At the level of the actual event described, which in this case is very surprising in itself, but also as a sign or a metaphor of something much more profound. So we need to consider that second possibility as well. So let's take the story first at its face value. The context is the serving of the evening meal. See verse 3. As you may know, there is some difficulty in reconciling the events of Jesus' last week in Jerusalem, as related by St. John, with the accounts in the other three Gospels. Those accounts are most easily reconciled by assuming that the meal referred to here was the Passover and hence the Last Supper. 
I suggest we proceed on that basis. But let's read again from verses 4 and 5. So Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. As a description of what would have routinely happened before a meal, the account is commonplace. Evidently, the water and the towel were to hand. It just lacked the servant to undertake the task. What was bizarre was that the chief guest at the meal, Jesus, took it upon himself to perform the necessary ablutions. If the disciples were anything like groups we know, there would have been a clear but unspoken pecking order among them. We know, for example, that Jesus already caught them arguing among themselves who might be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. So we might have expected one of the lesser disciples to know his place and volunteer for the task, but apparently not. Maybe it was one of those occasions we've all experienced when people hold back, hoping that someone else will volunteer. So how did they react when Jesus himself took up the challenge? divesting himself of his outer garment and wrapping the towel around his middle. Was it with guilt? Was there some finger-pointing to transfer the blame to one of the others? John does not tell us. The one person who is recorded as reacting is St. Peter. I think we should read some astonishment into his question of Jesus in verse 6. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And then his apparent refusal in verse 8, no, you shall never wash my feet. Perhaps he was feeling guilty that no one, including him, had volunteered for the service. Perhaps he was implicitly challenging the other disciples to overcome their reluctance. I think Jesus understands Peter's astonishment and reluctance. First, in verse 7, he suggests that washing Peter's feet has more significance than just getting a menial task done. He says, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Secondly, in verse 8, he indicates that washing Peter's feet in some way binds Peter the disciple to him more closely. Unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. I think that Peter gets it at this point and signals his commitment to Jesus by indicating his desire for his face and hands to be washed in addition to his feet. That is, his willingness for his feet, hands and face to be useful in serving his Lord. And immediately the story takes us back to the actual context Look again at the first first part of verse 10. Jesus answered, A person who has a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean. At first face value, it looks as though Jesus is teasing Peter, pointing out that anyone going out to dinner would normally bathe first, so there was no need for further washing once they arrived at their host's house. 
but there is more going on in this conversation than meets the eye. The apparently anodyne statement, and you are clean, is followed by, though not every one of you. And John adds the explanation that Jesus is referring to Judas, who is going to betray him. Clearly, clean serves in part as a metaphor for commitment to Jesus. And that is a commitment that goes far beyond the enjoyment of a meal together and experience of good fellowship. Remember, this is the Last Supper, when Jesus will invite them to participate in his new covenant, a new relationship between God and his people. So what is the meaning of foot washing? As we've already suggested, there is more going on in this instant than just Jesus acting in humility to wash his disciples' feet. Who is Jesus? Look again at verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus is the Son. The Father has delegated all authority to him. And later in the passage in verse 13, he reminds them that he is their teacher and Lord. Remember that this is the Last Supper, with Jesus fully aware that the cross awaited him the next day. Look again at verse 1. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Surely, we are to understand the foot washing as prefiguring Jesus' sacrificial love demonstrated on the cross, particularly when we take it together with his words during the meal that followed. This is my body, broken for you. This is my blood of the new covenant, shed for you. He is the suffering servant who comes to save humanity and does so in the most unexpected fashion by dying on a cross. So what did the foot washing imply for the disciples? In principle, the washing of the feet made the guest ready to participate in the feast. Accepting this service from Jesus, the disciples were expressing their commitment to him in the same way that accepting the bread and the cup of wine from him indicated their participation in his kingdom. So when Jesus makes washing a prerequisite, unless I wash you, you have no part with me, he is inviting them to commit their lives to to him. So where does that leave us. It's not without significance that the sign of Christian commitment from the earliest days of the church was baptism. This is not the occasion to explore in depth the symbolism of baptism, but at least in part it is to do with washing away sin and guilt and thereby being made ready to serve Jesus and to participate in his kingdom. Of course, we have only one baptism. We do not go on being baptized. 
However, it is surely right for us to be concerned about our guilt and sin and ask Jesus to cleanse us so that we can worship God with clean hands and a pure heart. Only then can we hope to be effective in serving him in our lives. On this point, the story also provides a warning. Judas had experienced everything that his fellow disciples had experienced, including apparently having his feet washed. But Jesus knew Judas would betray him. Cleansing from guilt and sin has to be more than just undergoing a ritual. But this, of course, is the question I'm sure you've been waiting for. Should we wash one another's feet? Before that, there is a lesson that we need to take from this story. We live in a culture that takes status very seriously. The work that we do, or did, if we are retired, the assets we own, especially our houses, the lifestyle we live, the successful academic achievements or careers of our children and grandchildren, even the social circle we belong to are important indicators of where we stand in the societal pecking order. For many, identity and self-worth depends on these things being recognized and admired, possibly even envied by others. Celebrity culture is a reflection of status writ very large and very publicly in social media. But the example of Jesus is utterly countercultural. St. Paul put it succinctly in his letter to the church in Philippi, the famous passage in chapter 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Our true identity derives solely from our relation to Jesus and our commitment to him. As Jesus humbled himself to wash our feet, to die on the cross for us, so we should follow him, our servant king. But does that mean that we should wash one another's feet. Look again at verses 14 and 15. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. In some ways, the instruction could not be more explicit. 
Indeed, some commentaries point out the parallel with Jesus' instruction at the Last Supper, do this in remembrance of me. And of course, this service of Holy Communion is in obedience to that latter command. Why not then foot washing? The answer, I think, lies in the recognition that while sharing a meal remains integral to the cultures all over the world, washing feet does not. So rather than taking it literally, we need to ask what might be the appropriate counterpart in our culture. Foot washing was an act of service of the most practical kind. We need to be imaginative in working out how we can serve one another in practical ways in our particular culture and church community. In fact, of course, there is already a lot of this going on in St. Andrews. Members of the church share meals, give lifts, babysit, visit the sick and the housebound, help resolve small maintenance issues in homes, provide a listening ear to those who are passing through troubled waters, or even give advice on IT. Many of us here can testify to the great kindness of others in the church. These acts of service are highly significant in helping the church to be a community of service across the generations. What we need to recognize is that such service is a response to the example and command of Jesus himself. To borrow the phrase from the sermon last Sunday morning, it is determined service of others. It is not an optional extra. It is part of our calling as a Christian community. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you to cleanse us from our sin and guilt so that we can worship you, follow you, and serve you with total commitment. And we ask that we may be more alert to the needs of others in our community and ready to serve them. That your name may be glorified in us. Amen.